Hi. My name is Doug, and I have a new life in Christ. God is delivering me from spiritual pride, control issues, and rebellion. More about that later. Today will be the fourth and final sermon in our series called Regeneration. And today's title is, You Can't Do It Alone. If you haven't been here through this series, just a quick review for you. Uh, week one, we, Jim talked about the first step of recovery. And I want to qualify what we're talking about when we're talking about recovery. We're not simply talking about drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Those are included in those. But recovery talks about any hurts or hang-ups and habits that prevent you from being who God desires you to be. So the, the first step is admitting your spiritual bankruptcy. That's what we talked about first week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Week two was titled, Don't Deny Your Hurt, where Jim talked about mourning over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Understanding the price that Christ paid for us so that we could be delivered from our sin. And, and then last week, uh, Randy Ponto shared with us the title, Are You Going to Leave It Like That? And he was talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The question being, are you actively seeking a right standing with God in your sin struggle? And today, again, the title is You Can't Do It Alone. And in that, what we're going to talk about is our need for God-honoring relationships in all of our lives. In order for us to take steps from wherever we are to where God wants us to be, that requires God-honoring relationships. In our sin struggle, we need each other. We weren't designed, created to do it by ourselves. So again, the first three parts of the sermon were based on Matthew chapter 5, looking at the Beatitudes. And certainly today, what I'm going to talk about is the very basis of, of those Beatitudes, which is the relational application of the Beatitudes, how those things are worked out, how those things are lived out in our life. And why, why would I do that? Well, because I believe that the Beatitudes... What the Beatitudes are is they're the very nature of Christ. It's Christ teaching and sharing who he is and what his nature is all about, what his character is all about. And we are called to emulate him. That's why this is such an important subject to address today. Proverbs 27 is kind of the key verse of what we're going to share today. And that says, better is an open reprimand of loving correction than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve a hidden agenda. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if you're a note taker on your outline, you'll see we're just going to jump right into point number one is we are created for relationships. We are created for relationships. And I'm going to read out of the message, uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30, and I think it'll be on the screen. So this is what it says. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. 
After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. God, from the beginning, creating us as relational beings, made in his very image to reflect his nature and his character, setting us in relationships where we can demonstrate the love of God by the way that we love others. Scripture is certainly replete in speaking of God-honoring relationships. You really can't look anywhere that you can't find God-honoring relationships. You can certainly find some non-God-honoring God-honoring relationships also, but whether it be in the New Testament where we see the one another's hundreds of times to, to love one another, to honor one another, to exhort one another, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to confront one another, the New Testament is full of that. We see the Apostle Paul speaking about uh, the body of Christ and how they're interrelated in relationships and how the body of Christ is called to build up and edify one another. What for? for Christ's likeness, to exhort one another towards Christ's likeness, to exhibit the character and nature of Christ. When we say from wherever we are to where God wants us to be, there's a common goal in that for every single person in this room, and that's becoming more and more like his son. That's why we were created, reflecting the very character and nature of Christ in and through our relationships. This is God's will for you. If you've ever asked the question, I don't understand what God's will for me is. One of them, and a very big one is, his will for you is that you become more and more Christ-like. That's very clear. That is our intended purpose. We heard this scripture last week for his divine power out of Second Peter. Uh, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I believe that the four most important, all things that pertain to life and godliness, so when it says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, I believe that, well, it doesn't matter what I believe, scripture clearly says that the four most important things in that, that he uses to move us towards his intended purpose in our life is his word, his Holy Spirit, relationships, and circumstances. Those are the four primary things that he uses to move us towards Christ's likeness. And it's through the relationships that we appropriate, we put into practice his word. It's through relationships that, and, and through the Holy Spirit's work in our life that we can demonstrate the outworking of those things that he's trying to do in our life. So that's the purpose that God has put in place in our lives to do that. And I'm gonna read a story to you today out of, the, out of the Old Testament that I believe demonstrates very well a Christ-honoring relationship in a sin struggle. And I don't have time to fully develop this story. It's pretty straightforward, the part we're gonna read. But I believe we see some real central truths about the importance of God-honoring relationships. And I would encourage you, on the back side of your notes there, um, uh, well, first, I would encourage you to read some of the background of this story, but, but read the story when, you're, when you go home today or tomorrow. Read this story again, and then also read Psalm 32 and 50, Psalm 51, which are on the backside of that study, and, and that will help you understand this story in its entirety. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, and if you want to follow along there, you can open your Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel, and 2 Samuel is right after 1 Samuel, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm a really bad student, I, and this is a true confession. I never memorized the books of the Bible. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. I, I couldn't rattle them off, you know. But here's, I, I do practical applications. So if you don't know where 2 Samuel is, take your Bible, open it exactly in half, and you'll be somewhere in the Psalms. And then the first half, open that just about in half, and you'll be really close to 2 Samuel. If you're at 1 Samuel, move one book to the right, 2 Samuel. Okay? If you're in Kings, move one couple books back, and you'll be in 2 Samuel. So here we go. I'm going to read out of, out of the ESV okay, for this verse. And I'm going to read the first 15 verses, so hang in there with me. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. He, it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who'd come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, and this is where we get the common term, you the man. David said to David, you are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Wow. That's quite the story. Murder, adultery, everything that you could probably name if you're, if you're a fan of keeping a sin list, which I would advise you not to, uh, and scoring the sin on that list, this would probably be, be pretty high. Okay, and, and the thing about this story, without reading the whole entire life of David, David was called a man after God's own heart, but David had some problems. David had some hidden sin. I don't believe for a minute, and if I'm embellishing, forgive me, I don't believe for a minute that was the first time David looked from his rooftop. I don't think this was a first-time accident. First, he was home when he shouldn't have been home. He was in a place he shouldn't have been. And he didn't just look, he kept looking and started a narrative in his head. Years before, David had been disobedient in, 
in not adhering to God's commands years before, before he was even king, God, God talked about in the, in the book of Deuteronomy for the king, when the king would be appointed, that they should not multiply horses. And David did good. He, he hamstrung horses of the enemy, didn't multiply horses. He should not multiply wives. David failed really miserably in that. And you should not multiply riches. He did okay in that. Okay, but he was living in disobedience even to that. So this wasn't just a one-time humongous fall that ended up murdering and adultery and the whole nine yards. Again, Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. Nathan was a faithful friend. He wasn't just the prophet. He was a faithful friend. We're going to jump to number two on your outline. God-honoring relationships, and right into point A, are a spiritual necessity. God-honoring relationships are a spiritual necessity. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. A hundred percent of us have some sort of sin struggle. We all have spiritual blind spots. We all deal with issues of pride, and we're all to some degree, have some deception about what God's desires are for us. We might not call it deception, but we might have created a little bit different narrative of what we think God wants to do with us than what God really wants to do with us. And so that, that applies 100% across the board. If you think that it doesn't apply to you, that alone is empirical evidence that you are deceived. If you said, nah, that's not me, Doug, none of those things apply to me. I don't have any sin struggles. I don't, I'm not deceived. I don't then, yeah, that's evidence that, yeah, you are deceived if you don't believe that, okay? And if that's not enough, I got a real simple test for you. Step up to the plate and ask your wife or ask your friend if you have any blind spots or if you have any pride issues. So it applies to all of us. Moreover, we think that we know ourselves and that we're okay. We forget about the blinding power of sin. No one really knows us beneath the well-crafted outward disguise. And because they do not know us, they cannot speak into our life because no one can speak into something that is hidden, okay? Like David's hidden sin. Obviously, it wasn't real well hidden, but if we don't know it, we can't speak into it. If it's not identified and admitted, it can't be dealt with. King David was deceived and he had spiritual blind spots, and yet he was called the man after God's own heart. Paul Tripp says this, we each need to live in intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. It's not a luxury, it's a spiritual necessity. Not a luxury, it's a spiritual necessity. And I love some of the straightforward words that we, that we read out of the book of Proverbs. In fact, this first one is, it blows the, my argument out of the water when my kids were little when I said, we don't use stupid in our house. Well, the Bible does, so I, it wasn't a very good argument. And, and Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves instruction and discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof and correction is stupid. Okay, pretty Straightforward in that, okay? Uh, also in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the arrogant fool who rejects God's wisdom is right in his own eyes, deception. But a wise and prudent man is he who listens to counsel. He who listens 
to counsel. God-honoring relationships are, again, are a spiritual necessity, not a luxury. If our desire is to continue to take steps to where God wants us to be. Point B on your outline, God-honoring relationships are costly. They're costly. Think about what it could have cost Nathan to confront the king. It could have cost him his very head. I mean, David could have had him beheaded, or David could have thrust him through with a spear, you know, whatever. Uh, It could have cost him a lot. It can cost us broken relationships. It can cost us rejection. It can cost the label. This is one that I've heard. I probably heard it because I might have done it wrongly. But the, who are you, holier than thou, to talk to me about my sin? Okay, so it can be costly in those kind of things. If we look at, uh, from David's end of it, what it cost him, it cost him his pride. Man, he was humbled. You, uh, he, he was low down there. It cost him his false pedestal as the king who was without wrong. He got that pedestal kicked out from underneath him so quick uh, that I'm sure it humbled him as he hit the ground. It cost him his ego. It cost him his public standing. It cost him a lot of things, okay, to confess and humble himself about his sin. And again, I don't believe that David or that Nathan was called to confront uh, David purely because he was a prophet. I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I believe it was because that Nathan and David had invested time together in a relationship, okay? They had a God-honoring relationship, and they were known to each other. This is a, a quote that I stole from Jim a long time ago. The relational bridge that they had built was strong enough to bear the truth of this confrontation. They had a relationship, It wasn't just a cold turkey, and I don't believe that's the way God's works. If if one of you comes up to me today after the service, and I don't know you at all, and you confront me about a sin in my life, I'll probably call the security team first to to help you out, you know, because I'll be afraid of what I will do if, you know, but that's not the way God works. That's not the way God works. God uses people that we have relationships, close, intimate relationships with to speak into our lives and, and vice versa, okay? And Nathan and David had that kind of relationship. And if we think about it, those temporal costs, those things that we risk uh, to share truth, um, they can be difficult, but it's a very small debit compared to the eternal profit of loving someone enough to speak truth to them in love about their sin. You can't do it alone. And the bottom line is this, and this is a consensus that our, our region leadership group came to at a meeting. This is, this is what we all decided on. It's much easier not to invest in those kind of relationships. It's much easier, trust me. It, all day long, it's the easy way out to not have those kind of relationships. But... I don't think that will fly. I don't think that'll be a good response to our Heavenly Father on that day. So uh, it doesn't matter that it's not easy. They are costly. Point C in your outline, God-honoring relationships require intentionality. Okay? The natural man, our fleshly nature, never desires to receive correction and never desires to give correction. Our flesh doesn't desire deep relationships in which we are known and completely transparent about our sin issues. It's not normal for our fleshly nature to want to do that. While it might be easy to be confrontational in the natural realm, I mean, in my business career, I was kind of the guy that had to sometimes be 
confrontational in the position that I was in. And that was much easier than confronting someone in the spiritual realm because there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. And I believe that the enemy, the enemy of our souls, desires to keep us not only in bondage to our own hidden sin and to also keep us from addressing sin in others' lives. Again, we don't want to hear that. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are talking to me about my sin? You know, you're just as bad as I am. We don't want to hear that. It's difficult to do that, you know. And, and who feels like confrontation? I mean, who wakes up in the morning and, and says, I hope I get to confront my good friend today. Gee whiz, I can't wait to wreck a relationship. That's just not normal. That's, that's, not, the, that's not the way that we, that we think, okay? But what it requires, it requires setting our mind on things above and realizing that God has called us to God-honoring relationships. Loving someone enough to be intentional about speaking truth in love about their sin. A quote from Francis Schaeffer says this, truth always carries with it confrontation. If our reflex action is always accommodation, regardless of the centrality of truth involved, there is something wrong, okay? And when I read that, when I, what I'm reading, and I don't think I'm reading between the words, I think I'm understanding what he's trying to say is, is that it's flat compromise if we don't. If we, if we choose to remain silent about the truth and we're truly concerned about a, a, a close friend's eternal destiny, then we're going to speak truth into line, and to not is compromise. And personally, and I don't, I don't want to sound mean at this, I don't need friends who don't have my eternal best in mind. I don't need friends like that. If, if, if you can't, in fact, when I pass out my friend uh, uh, interview, which I'm just making this up as I go. When I pass out my interview... Number one is, number one question is, is, do you have my eternal best in mind? And if you can't answer yes, then, then the, number two is, don't continue any further in this survey. Okay, so, uh, I, I mean, it, we don't need, need that. We don't need that in our lives if our desire is to be everything that God wants us to be. So God sent Nathan uh, to confront David, but it required a decision of Nathan's will to go. You know, even a prophet had to make a willful decision to go and carry out that action. So it did require intentionality in that relationship. And again, faithful are the wounds of a friend. God-honored relationships, point D on your outline, are eternally priceless. James 5.19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What would have been David's path had Nathan chosen not to address his friend's sin? We can only guess. Uh, Pastor Jim said in one of the previous sermons in this series that God uses crisis, confrontation, and catastrophe to awaken us from our denial, okay? Nathan was a God-honoring friend who confronted David, and he risked all for David's eternal best. Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good, good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. I think we could, we could translate that. I translate it so I understand a little bit better is, is 
It's a sad situation if we don't have someone who loves us enough to help us see our sin. Okay? Woe to you if you have no accountability in your life. Woe to you if you continue in your spiritual deception and spiritual blind spots. We can't do it alone. We were created for God-honoring relationships. They are a spiritual necessity. They are costly. They require intentionality, but they're eternally priceless. Hi, my name is Doug, and I have a new life in Christ. God is delivering me from spiritual pride control issues, and rebellion. Ten or so months ago, I was invited to attend the leader training for regeneration. Karen and I, my wife, agreed to participate, and my thinking is that I would just be an observer as a senior leader in the church, but God had a different plan. You see, even before beginning the regeneration training, I was struggling with what I called impatience and the lack of joy. I sought counseling, I read books, I talked with my accountability partner, and of course, all along I was doing my and maintaining my daily spiritual practices. As a pastor counseling others about these same type of issues, I felt unable to diagnose my own struggles and somehow thought, I shouldn't be having these kind of character flaws that were not Christ-honoring. I shouldn't be having these kind of things. That's simply spiritual pride, you know. And so through the intentional steps of of the regeneration program, which included study of God's word, prayer, scripture memorization, group discussion, and perhaps for me, not that those other things aren't key and foundational, but the most important thing for me, the deepening of the relationships with the men in our group. At that point... In my life, I felt safe enough to share my sin struggles. And I came to realize by bringing these character sins into the light with my mentor uh, that God clearly revealed to me that my anger, I've called it impatience because it's not legal on my pastor application. They said, are you angry? And I said, no, but I'm impatient. Just, a, just a, a way of justifying my sin, I believe, is what you would call that. Um, but uh, uh, again, God clearly revealed to me that my anger and my lack of joy was because of my rebellion. And what was I rebelling against? I was rebelling against the very things that God was using in my life for my character development towards Christ's likeness. Whether it be the blended family challenges that Karen and I face, whether it be marital challenges, whether it be the circumstances in the church, all those things did not jive with my narrative on how I thought my life should go. And quite bluntly, I was PO'd at God. I was PO'd because it wasn't according to my plan. Who do you think you are, God, bringing these things, continuing to bring these things, continuing to bring these things into my life. Who do you think you are? And I'm sure God was equally PO'd at me for putting myself as sovereign. I was making myself God. I was choosing my own path and deciding that what my plan was much better than his. He had my eternal best in mind. I had my temporal happiness in mind. And it's a big difference. 
I now once again realize my spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I once again mourn over my sin, the price that Christ paid for me. I'm no longer willing to leave it like that, but instead I'm actively seeking, right, standing with God in my sin struggle. And I realize that I can't do it alone. I need Christ on relationships with men who love me and are willing to confront me in my sin and my spiritual blind spots. It's always our choice, okay, to uh, accept all of God's plan for our lives, to allow his word, his Holy Spirit, relationships, and the circumstances he brings in our life to help us move closer to his perfect plan and purposes for our lives. I can tell you this, that God did use the regeneration process to bring transformation into my life, and he can do that same thing for you. Christ's life, his death, and resurrection is all sufficient to rescue and deliver you from any and all hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are keeping you from his fullness, the abundant life that he desires for you. I encourage you, if any of this applied to you, if you could relate to any of this, sign up for Regen. Walk out to the table in the hall. There'll be some people working at the table out there and talk to them a little bit about the, the regeneration process. I think all the people at the table today have gone through the leadership training process. So they have firsthand experience of the transformation that God has brought forth in their lives. So today is maybe the day for you to step up to that abundant life that God desires for you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you love us. We're thankful, Father, for the things that you've allowed into our lives uh, and the tools that you've given us, your word and your Holy Spirit, relationships and circumstances to help us move towards Christ's likeness, to help us move from where we are to where you desire us to be. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open and willing to take those steps to look to you, Father, to, uh, to strengthen us and encourage us in those things. We desire to please you. We desire to have the peace and the joy that can only come by being in right relationship and with right standing before you. So, Father, change our hearts, work in our hearts. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a prayer team over on this side of the stage. If you need prayer today for anything, if, if maybe you've never made the decision to ask Christ into your life, uh, today would be a good day to do that. Anything that you need prayer for, head over this way, and these guys will pray for you. So thank you guys much. God bless you.